This is Pastor Chadwick King. I hope you enjoy the ministry of God's Holy Word today provided by the Promise Center Media Ministry. Please share this lesson or sermon with your friends and family. And may the Lord bless you. All right, how are you guys doing? Good. Well, that was like four people. How are you guys doing? Good. All right, so today I have this unique opportunity to talk about heaven, and I'm going to do my best to share with you some things that are big ideas, and I know it's going to be like, what? I didn't know that. Oh, my goodness, I never heard that. Or, yeah, I've heard that before. And I know that when we talk about heaven, probably here today, you already have some preconceived ideas of what heaven looks like, what it's going to be like. Some of you already have tried to choose teams in, on, on the football team. You're going to play some football up there and this or that. I get that. But here today, all I'm going to do is in our fundamental series is do this. I want to share like five big ideas about heaven. I'm not going to answer all the questions. I know this is like enormous and it would take several weeks to try to, to share this with you and for us to be able to digest this. Uh, and, and, and it's not going to happen in 35 minutes. But I want to first ask this question. How many people here want to go to heaven? Okay. Now, keep your hands up, honestly. Now, how many people want to go right now? Yeah, the hands go down. You see how that works? We, we want to go, but we're not sure about, like, going right this second. What's going to happen? Because you're not sure if, like, when, when, when you die, like, we go up and we become like jellyfish kind of floating in the sky, you know, uh, keep on swimming, keep on swimming. Is it even real? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Who is there? Who's going to greet me? Is there really gates where uh, St. Peter's going to meet me and there's other people there and some kind of joke at the end? What is heaven going to look like? So I'm just going to give you five big ideas today, and I hope it helps you because heaven is a real place, and it's for you, and it's for me, and Jesus did this masterful thing to redeem humanity so we could live with him forever and ever. That's good news, isn't it? All right. I, I do know this. I know that, you know, some people, like, think of heaven. When you think of forever, does that, like, hurt your brain? Like, what are we going to do forever? Like, forever? Like, okay, I can think of, like, a thousand years. Like, we'll fill a thousand years. But what does forever look like? And I remember being a kid, like, thinking, I'm going to get to heaven and be really disappointed. I'm going to get up there and be like, okay, enough. We've worshipped. We go back to our room. We go worship. Go back to our room. We worship. We go back to our room. What is up with that? And it's almost like, you know, when you, I had this big idea a couple years ago, I'm going to go to Disneyland in October where there's no lines and, and nobody's there, and we work real hard to get there. We get the kids there, and we go, and like seven of the, of the rides are closed for maintenance. It was like the biggest disappointment. We were just like this, I hate Disneyland. And the thing is, is like, we don't want to get there, and like, you think about that, like, well, what's going to happen? Am I going to be disappointed? Is it going to be as cool? I mean, this is pretty cool down here for some people. Is it going to be that way up there? So I'm going to just tackle some big ideas here today. And we've had some technical difficulties, so I appreciate our team working really hard in between services to make this happen. So we're going to talk about heaven. Before we talk about the what, let's talk about the why. What's the big idea behind heaven? What's God's real master plan behind heaven? And it starts with this verse in Ephesians 2. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Watch this. So that in the coming ages... 
he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Have you ever been somewhere where you knew you weren't just like welcome, but like you were wanted? That's this kind of place. It's going to take him all the coming ages to show us that he might show us. Like when you never put a might behind God, but this is one of those mights that he might show us all of his love and his mercy and his goodness. From eons to eons, he's going to just continually try to outprove himself. And I'm excited for God to try to outprove his love to us. Amen, day by day. Here we go. We're going to show you another scripture here in heaven. Here, here's the big idea, and I want to start with this. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square. So it was, it was not just wide, it wasn't just long, but it was also tall. So it was a square, and it was long. In fact, the length and width and height were each 100, one, excuse me, 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. Now, what this tells us is this is not some ethereal place that just kind of is like cloudy and floaty and it's like cotton candy, but this is like a real place that can be measured even by human measurements. That's an important fact, that heaven is a real destination. It, it's, it's as real as New York is. In fact, when Jacob put his head down on this rock in this place, he finds out he's in Bethel, the house of God, and there's like this, there's like this ladder between Jacob and Bethel and heaven, and there's angels ascending and descending from one real place to another real place, back and forth. So heaven is a real place that we can observe, that is measurable, that has dimensions. We see a three-dimensional city. So again, this is not ethereal in that it's just a spongy kind of, am I in a trip? Is this acid? Are we kind of in a, you know, kind of a, a state of just kind of floating like the jellyfish? This is a real place. In fact, I'm going to share a couple of cool things here in just a moment. But it says this, in my father's house are many Many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place. Now, that word place is T O P O S in the Greek, to post. And what it just simply means is a real place, a genuine place, as real as San Francisco, as real as New York, as, as real as whatever city you can think of, a place that you can go, a place that exists right now. It's a real place. Okay? That's important. Now, when we look at the when we look at heaven in the scriptures, and again, my, my, the discourse today is not about showing you that there's roads, but I'm just going to tell you there is, and there's a lot of scriptures to back all this stuff up. I'm going to show you some cool things that exist in heaven. Number one, there's cities. Not just Jerusalem, but there's actually cities. And there's roads between those cities. There's people traveling, and there's movement. There's transit. There's homes. There's food. Donuts with no calories. Cronuts that give you muscles. Yeah. The Bible says that we're going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a tree of life. We eat at that. Uh, the leaves of the healing of the nations. It's really exciting all that God has for us. Then there's people. So you're not going to go up and it's going to be like, hello, 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 hello. Where's everybody, body, 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 body? There's people. And what's really cool is there's diversity. 
John went up, and you know what he saw? He saw people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. I can't wait to learn French. Anyways, I try that, and Heidi just laughs at me. But anyways, there's animals, there's clothing, people dress in different clothing, relationships, worship, joy, and there's peace. Heaven does not have doctors because there's no need for doctors. If you're a doctor, I apologize. No therapist. You don't even have tear glands in heaven. No therapist. No lawyers. No funerals, no wars, no terror, no racism, no pain, no light bulbs. Because Jesus is the light. There's no shadows. It's pure illumination. Amen. He is the light of everything. No taxes. And no end. There's no end. Isn't that cool? Are you excited about heaven a little bit? It's a real place. All right. So heaven and identity. This is a big question that people have, and I'm going to try to do my best to just kind of put this big idea in your hands, and you can do whatever you want with it. Heaven, identity, what am I going to be when I get to heaven? Now, I don't want to go to heaven and be Biff. I don't want to be Biff. I want to be Chad, okay? And people get nervous because they go, when I go to heaven, will I be me? What will I look like? What will I be like? Will I be me? And uh, the answer is, of course, in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then... I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This is a really cool and important idea. Watch this, Matthew 8 and 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to eat with people that are actually Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are real people, and we will know who they are. In fact, when Jesus went up with his three... That's James, John, and Peter up to the Mount Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah both appear there. Here's what's really cool. Jesus recognizes them, of course, but what are these, how would these three guys know who they are? Well, James and Peter and, and, and John recognize this is Moses, and this is Elijah talking with Jesus. They didn't know them because they had hung out with them before, but there was a knowing. This is those guys. This is Moses who parted the sea. Like, there's a full knowing, and that's really cool. So you're going to be you when you go to heaven. Watch this here. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. I never wear purple. Okay, because of this. And fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. And at, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. So we have a rich man with no name. We have Lazarus who has a name, someone covered with sores and longing uh, to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. Kind of anticlimactic there. Watch what happens next. In Hades, that's death. That's the holding place. That's not the lake of fire. In Hades, where he was in torment, and this is, gonna, uh, this is a, a, an idea, a big idea, but Jesus is not just telling a parable. He's telling an actual story because he's using people's names. He never used names in parables. Where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he sees a man that he's never recognized. He just walked by over and over in real life, but now this is amplified. This truth is amplified, and he knows exactly who this dude is. This is Lazarus that was by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. 
But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your life you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Watch the response. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. This rich man, even in Hades, knew who his family was and his brothers and how many he had. Again, when we go into eternity, there's not less awareness. There is more awareness. And that's what makes heaven amazing. You're not going to lose you. Now, you're all got that face like, how does this story end? Okay, we'll, we'll get there. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Um, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So we know we're going to be us. Is that, is that good news for anybody? Some of you are like, no, I don't want to be me. Okay, but you're going to be you. Who goes to heaven? Now, this is one of those real fun questions. Who goes to heaven? And you probably in your mind have like this scale that you probably have created. That like, here's all the good people and here's all the really wicked people. And, of course, the, the, the good people are over here. And there's not as many of us good people because we're not really bad. You know, we're just kind of bad. We do bad things every once in a while. But let's just look at something that makes this kind of easy for us to visualize. Very evil, very good. Now, you have already put yourself somewhere on this. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm 75% good, probably 25% bad. You know, sometimes I have a bad attitude. Or there's people you know that are like, they're like, 25% good, 75% bad. They're real bad, but every once in a while you're like, you know what, that idiot has got a good heart. You know what I mean? He's like right over here somewhere. And you probably in your mind have like this idea like, okay, so people who are, let's say, 80% good, 20% bad, they're the ones that are going to make it to heaven. But what if you're 80% good, 20% bad, and you go and stand before God and he says, nope, it was 81%. You're out. That'd be tough, wouldn't it? What's the answer here? What if I was to tell you that to make it to heaven, 100%. What if I told you, according to the scripture, now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. You have to be 100%. Now, people get upset because they go, but that's not fair. Well, what is fair? Isn't God so rich in his holiness, pure in his essence? How can anything unclean come into that holy place? Would that, wouldn't that just kind of break down the whole idea of what heaven is really about? Because we want, I mean, we want everyone to be, but, but the truth is, is heaven's so glorious, no corruption can inherit that place. So what is the answer? You're going, uh-oh, what's the answer? Well, there is an answer. For everyone has sinned. Turn to your neighbor and say, everybody. everybody. Turn back to your neighbor and say, don't tell me what you did. Just know everyone's sinned. 
For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God. Oh, those two words right there. Yet God. With undeserved kindness declares we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Come on, somebody. That's good news. You see, what I, what I shared with you first was the bad news. We've all sinned. Nobody hit 100 except Jesus. The good news is God said Jesus is the substitute. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just. And he decrees sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. God makes you 100% when you believe in Jesus. That, my friend, is the best news you're ever going to hear. That, my friend, is the best news you're ever going to hear. So who gets to go to heaven? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. And I know you're, you're going, oh, what, what, that, that doesn't sound right. Like, can't repeat. I can't repeat that to my friends at work. But the bottom line is nobody can get in in and of themselves. And I'm thankful that there's someone who made it in and has invited us in with him as fellow heirs. We have great hope in Jesus. So we're talking about heaven. We're talking about heaven and this big idea of, of going there and then what happens. Is it all kind of just like, is it a union? Everybody pay a scale kind of goes up at the same time? Are there scales on how this works? What, what does heaven look like? What does it feel like? Is there any incentives? Is there any big idea to what God is asking us to do today? Well, number one, there's believe, and number two, there's obey. Believe and obey. These are two crucial big ideas. Believe is about destination. Believe is about destination. But then the Bible teaches this other big idea, which is obey, which brings compensation. So we have destination, we have compensation. You're saying, what? I don't get that. Didn't, didn't Jesus tell a parable about people who worked all day and got paid the same as the people that worked just in the afternoon for like one hour? Yes. Everybody who believes gets to enjoy the benefit of heaven. That's, a, that's good news. But there's another side to it. There's something about obedience. I'm going to show you this in just a moment. You are not saved by works. You are rewarded for your works. You are rewarded for your works. There are many books in heaven. There are two that I want to just share with you really quickly. The book of life. The book of life, if your name is in it, you get to enjoy all of the blessings of heaven. But there's also the book of remembrance. Now, people, I don't want to remember. I don't remember, like, like please don't, God, I don't want to get to heaven and for eternity have to remember all the stuff I did. Now, I want you to know, first off, sin is not recorded in heaven. It's not recorded in heaven, okay? So this is not remembering all the bad stuff. Where is sin recorded? Sin is recorded in your soul. 
in your conscience. Paul talks about this, how the conscience bears witness, how we stand before God and our conscience is revealed. The conscience of man is like the little black box that everything you do is recorded there. So when we ask for forgiveness, when we repent of our sins, he forgives us. But then when we're baptized in 1 Peter chapter 3 and 20, it says that we're baptized, like Moses, the earth was washed with water. We're baptized, not the washing of our skin, but now the answer of a good conscience toward God. Not only is the sin taken away, but now the guilt, we've been with him in baptism, and now we're alive with him, walking in victory and confidence because of his goodness. And so your sin is not recorded in heaven. So what are these remembrances? These remembrances is all that you've done. I don't know if that's right English. All that you have done. All that you've done. All that you have done in the name of the Lord. The Bible says you won't lose your reward. Every time you gave up something for the gospel, every time you made a pecan pie for the pastor, every time you did something in the name of the Lord, it will never be forgotten. It will never be forgotten, ever. Remembrances. All right. Slip that in. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Another version says, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? God doesn't keep those sins in heaven, but they're marked in our hearts. That's why God gives us a new heart, cleanses our conscience. We walk in victory. Amen? That little black box can be washed. It can be restored, and we can walk with confidence with God. So let's talk about rewards. Rewards. God blesses you when people mock you persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. In heaven. I know people get frustrated. We're like, America, the world, all this stuff is happening. It's so bad. I get that. But at the end of the day, the world is going to be the world. And this is going to happen. And persecution is going to continue to come. It's going to come in greater waves. And at the end of the day, he said, man, you're blessed. Be glad. Rejoice. Because there's re- you're not living for this life. We're living for the life to come. And everything we do in his name, every time that we feel shame for his name, or someone shames us or polarizes us, talks against us, marginalizes us, hurts us, wounds us. For his name's sake, he says, don't you get worried because you're going to get your reward. You won't lose it. You're going to be compensated. You're going to be compensated for everything you've done. Then it says this. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. This is talking about Paul's writing to the believer that you've been called to do a work that you're, you're building your ministry, your, your outreach, your, 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 your prayer life, it's all, it's all something that, that's bringing something into the kingdom and it's weighted and it's, it's not hay, wood, and stubble, but it's, it should be gold, it should be precious, it should be like silver. He's talking about this big idea. And he says the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. But what happens? The builder will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through the wall of the flames. You lived your life the way you wanted to. You made decisions the way you wanted to. He says, you're going to barely get saved, but there won't be a reward. I want a reward. I don't want to barely be saved. There's a compensation in heaven. You're looking at me. I know you're going, what is he teaching? There's more scriptures, so just hold on. 
But I'm just telling you, we're not living for this life only. We're living for the life to come. There's a destination and there's a compensation. It says this Luke 19 and 17. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted you with. You've been a good steward of what I gave you, what I put in your hands. So you will be a governor of 10 cities as your reward. I'm going to give you dominion. You're going to lead. You're going to rule. There's going to be a compensation in the next life to come. I trusted you with the little. Now, what has God put in your hands? What's that little thing? Are you bearing it? Are you scared? Are you investing? Are you trying it out? Are you trusting God? Are you obeying his voice? Because he says, this is what it's all going to amount to. If I can trust you with a little bit here, just this one little decision can change the trajectory of your eternity forever. Not the destination, but the compensation. And God always pays back very well. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the bema. That's not the, the white throne judgment. That's the bema of Christ. That's the church, the glorious church, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. He's going to hand out rewards. He's going to hand out certificates. He's going to hand out Priuses to some and Ferraris to others. Okay. Here's your keys. <laughs> but there's going to be a day where we're going to stand and it's all going to be revealed. It's all going to be revealed. All right? To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to let you sit. You know, this is not done just because you barely made it in. You, wouldn't, you weren't victorious. This is because... You went above and beyond. In fact, there's this interesting story where I love, I love where John and James's mom comes to Jesus. Don't you love like moms who are passionate? They're like, she's like, Jesus, my boys, they should sit with you in the kingdom right next to you. Jesus is like, well, what? <laughs> and he's like, look, that's reserved for the people who have given the most in the kingdom. And he stops and goes, and you know what? They will. They're going to give everything and their lives they will sit next to me in the kingdom. There is a compensation. There is a reward for those who go all in. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. I will give authority over the nations. Matthew 5 and 19. So if you ignore these least commandments and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. The least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Destination and compensation. Now, degrees of condemnation. Does this work on the other side? It does. And again, I know some of us, I know for me, I, I just don't want to go to that other side. Like if heaven's made of kale and quinoa, I want to go there. I don't care. I don't want to go to the other side. Okay, I get it. But there's degrees of condemnation. Watch this. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin or Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off in judgment day than you. They didn't have Jesus. This, the, the, Carson and Bethsaida didn't have miracles. They didn't have all these amazing things that Jesus was doing. He says, you've had more of an opportunity to hear the gospel, to do what's right, and you didn't do it. So in that day of judgment, 
it'll be worse. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us, to us. So we have destination, we have compensation. And again, here's the big idea. This is a real place. This is a real place that exists. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. And for those who go, this is too hard. It's not hard. It's actually harder to go the other way. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to make a place for you. But David in his psalm says, if I make my bed in hell. You have to make your bed in hell. You have to decide to rebel against God. You have to decide. You have to work to make your bed in hell. But Jesus said, I'll work to make a place in heaven for you. The choice is easy today. And you know what? Whether we recognize it or not, there's already a gulf. There's a gulf already. We read about that gulf between Hades and Abraham's bosom. We read about that gulf between the two. There's already a gulf, and you may feel it. You go, I don't feel connected. I don't feel like I know God. Can I tell you, today, God can close that chasm. He can do a work in your heart. He can become your best friend, your savior today. You don't have to leave here without hope. This narrative, this story of the gospel is the story that gives hope to the world. Amen. So, a new body. Now, nobody's more excited about this than me. I've already asked God, I don't want a six-pack. I want a 16-pack. It's going to be awesome. A new body. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. Here's, here's the idea. Not only is heaven real, tangible, measurable, observable, a real place with diadems and uh, depths and widths and heights and people and relationships, but we will be real. We will have a real physical body. And how do we know this? We know this because Jesus, when he rose again, he rose again with a real physical body. This is the crux of our, of our faith, that Jesus didn't just have a spiritual resurrection. He had a physical resurrection, and he is the first fruit of those who are raised from the dead. So I want to share with you one of the greatest rewards and one of the greatest promises in the scripture about what you were going to be like on that day. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heaven bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and the stars each have another kind, and even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Here's what's important to understand. When sin happened in the garden, you know what was lost? This glory. Everything has a glory. In fact, the Bible says that when he made man, he crowned him with glory and honor. That's why Adam and Eve, they didn't have to have clothes in the garden. They were radiating with glory. They were made just the way God had formed them. 
And when they disobeyed, they sinned. And the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory. You are short of the glory that God has destined you to have and to be. So he says, I get to do something. I'm going to give you a redo. You're going to plant that broken body, that weak body, that, that, that sinful body in the ground. But out of the ground is going to come a new and glorious body, a body that is from the heavens. It says this, and they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies buried brokenness. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. I love this in Philippians. Love this verse. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly, eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. In that day when he comes back and the resurrection of the dead, the first resurrection, the church breaks out of the graves and we are changed and we are like him and we are in strength just like Jesus was when he resurrected, walking through walls yet eating fish. Looks like Jesus, but yet in the heavens he's able to look with fire in his eyes. The mouth that didn't say a word on the cross is now a sword coming out of his mouth. His hands were pierced, and now those hands reveal stars and keys. Glorification. The glorification of what has happened in us will be revealed through our bodies. Glorious bodies. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. I love this passage. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. This was their hope. This is what they pressed for. This is what they believed. There is a greater resurrection. And this is the crux of the Christian faith. We're not just going to heaven. We're not just going to float up there like jellyfish. We're going to not just go to a real place and be like invisible little spirits. We're going to have new bodies. There's a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth. He's making everything new. And he's going to give you a new body. And you are going to be you. And you are going to worship God forever and ever and ever. 2 Corinthians 5 and 3, for we will put on heavenly bodies and will not be spirits without bodies. Did you catch that? We won't be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this and a guarantee has given us his Holy Spirit, as a guarantee, gave us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is his seal. It's his promise. It's his guarantee. It's his down payment. It's the earnest of your inheritance. It's him saying, I'm coming back. In fact, the picture that Paul gives when he says that the Spirit is the earnest of your inheritance, that is, you're sealed with the Spirit of promise. This is what it means. Back in the day, they would have their ring and they'd have a signet. And when they go through the market, they would have a little bit of wax and they'd, they'd put it on the product they wanted to buy and they'd put their signet mark on that product. And they would go and shop. But then the servants would come back and everything that was marked, they would come back and bring and take to the master. He said, when you have the spirit, you've been marked. You have his mark on you. 
He's coming for you. He's coming to take you home. He's coming to take you to that glorious place. Amen. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. We can't even comprehend what it's going to be like. What we're going to be like. All that we've suffered in this body, all that we've done for his name's sake, everything that we've done will be revealed, not just in the heavens, but in our bodies. In our bodies. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. This is the hope that purifies our hearts. This is the hope that gives us the right perspective to live day by day. We're not living for just today. We're living for that glorious day. And this is one of my favorite passages, and I, I'm, I'm excited that I get to close with this. Daniel 12 and 2. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. All that you've done, all that you've done will be revealed in your new glorious body. It'll be revealed who and what you are. That's why when John saw Christ in the heavens, the full knowledge of who he was, sometimes he'd see him as a lamb. Sometimes he'd see him as a man. Sometimes he'd see the four heads, the four representations, the eagle, the lion. He'd see the ox. He'd see the man. And sometimes he would see him with the white hair and his eyes burning because this is who he is, a lamb, deity, one who is relevant to humanity, See him for how, as he is. And in that day, that body, that person that you will be, everything that you did, every time you were tested and you came through, it will be revealed somehow, some way, and it doesn't yet show. We don't know what it will be or what it will be like, but we know we'll have a body like his glorious body. That is our hope. That is our passion. That is what we're living for. Would you stand? For more information about who we are, we invite you to go to thepromisecenter.com. God bless you.